Welcome to the podcast. Most people don't, but you do. This is episode number 90. I have had the pleasure of interviewing and talking to some remarkable people. And today is not the exception. Let me read a little bit about our guest. It is Chair Randall. She was elected chair at large of the Loudoun County Board of Supervisors in November 2015. And then she was reelected four years later, November of 2019. Her election was historic as she became the first person of color in Virginia's history to be an elected chair of a county board. Let me read just a few more things. June of 2018, Chair Randall was selected as one of only 25 women in the country to be included in the 2019 class of governing magazines, women in government leadership program. She was also, and I think this is just an amazing accomplishment, Chair Randall, Loudoun County, the residents and citizens of Loudoun County voted not only in 18, 19, 20, and 21 that you were their favorite public official. I am just so excited to be able to talk to you. This is a powerful woman. She is a successful person, but more than anything, she is kind. So Chair Randall, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining. Bert, thank you for having me. And thank you for not reading that whole resume or that whole CV because it is so boring. So <laughs> let's not read that whole thing, but I appreciate being here. Yeah. And I met you, this was, gosh, probably a couple months ago, you were yeah. speaking at a leadership conference that I was helping to moderate in Leesburg. Yeah. And I was immediately drawn to your energy and your positivity. I had to go up right afterward and just say, I adore you. I love your thoughts. I love how you storytell. I just appreciate who you are and what you're doing. Therefore, when I, <laughs> it's my podcast, I'm allowed to invite whoever I would like. <laughs> oh, so grateful, Chair Randall, that you're joining. And thank you. A little shout out to Ruth for making sure that this was happening. Yeah, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. And by the way, Ruth is my executive assistant who is amazing. Any person who has any leadership position has to have a Ruth with yes. them because they are just amazing people and very organized. Yeah, for sure. And when I have conversations like this with people that are extraordinary, that people that do, I typically like to begin asking them to share a little bit about their background, where they grew up, how they grew up, and what were some of the early influencers. So if you could share, that would be amazing. Sure. So I am the daughter of military. I was born in Stuttgart, Germany, but we lived quite a few places before we finally settled in Denver, Colorado. My, my you know, growing up experience was with a military man and a mom, a mother who used to tell all of us, and it's a lot of us, a lot of kids in the family, that America is the best country in the world. And that to be a good American, you have to find ways to give back. They never said America was a perfect country. And they never said we were, we were without flaws and foibles. They said we were the best country in the world and find ways to give back. So that was my growing up years. And I still believe that. I believe we're the best country in the world with flaws and foibles, but find ways to give back. When I first arrived in Loudoun County in 1993 with my new husband, we started by, I started giving back by working in our school system before I ever had children. I worked in elementary schools and middle schools and did reading programs, especially with young ladies. And it hurts my heart because one of the, one of the books I chose to read to the young ladies in middle school was a book called Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry. It's now on a list of banned books, which is really unfortunate because if you've ever read Roller Thunder, Hear My Cry, it's an age-appropriate book for middle school students and it is a wonderful book to read. And, and then after that, I got really involved with my PTOs and PTAs 
And I, I, it was never my thought that I wanted to run for public office. It was my thought that I want to find ways to give back. And I am a person of faith. I am a Christian. And I decided to let God lead me to where he wanted me to go. And so I ran for office twice in 2003 and 2007 and lost both of those offices. And I was thinking, maybe what I'm hearing is not right. Maybe you don't want me to run for office. Maybe that's not what my job's supposed to be. And that was fine with me. So I got really involved in other things. Governor Tim Kaine appointed me to the to the Fair Housing Board. Later, I become I became chair of the Fair Housing Board, Virginia's Fair Housing Board, under Governor McDonald. So I worked on that under two governors of different parties. And then later on, Governor McCullough appointed me to be on the State Board of Corrections, where I became chair of that board. And so it wasn't until later that I made the decision with a lot of encouragement to run for chair of the county. And I was running against a 20-year incumbent, did not think I could win, and decided to talk about things that were really important to me. Important to me are mental health, because I'm a mental health therapist by profession, what we're doing with our nonprofits, how we treat people in the county, how we're treating our county workers and employees. And, you know, then the interesting thing is when you're running for office, but you think you're going to lose anyway, mm-hmm. you can talk about what you want to talk about. So I talked about things that you don't normally discuss when you're, who talks about mental health when they're running for office? Back in 2015, no one was talking about mental health. So I talked about all these things that I thought were important. And then I won. And I will tell you winning and then winning again in 2019. I love being chair. I wake up every morning and I go, I get to be chair of the county again today. It literally just never goes away. The wonder of getting to be chair of the county. It's just a remarkable position. I get to talk to young people all the time, which is really the best part of my job. It's challenging. It's it's hard. It's time consuming, but it is a wonderful way to, to do what my parents told me to do, which was find ways to give back. Yeah. And Chair Randall, I think that's just remarkable. Your career has been remarkable. When you were growing up and you had the influence of your parents in saying that America is a great place, it's not perfect, and you need to give back. Did your siblings also have that same message from your parents and pursue giving back through um, school, through education, through school, through politics? Can you share a little bit about your siblings? What an interesting question. No one's ever asked me about my siblings and they're they're going to love hearing this podcast. Yeah. It's interesting because every single one of us, like I have a sister who I'm so proud of. She's just, she is, she will be have an investor ceremony to be a judge in Atlanta in a couple of weeks. I'll be there for her ceremony. She's becoming a judge, but she started off doing kind of public prosecution, public defense. And then she went into family law where you don't make much money, but she wanted to get back in that way. I have a brother who's also works as a, in the mental health field um, for a public agency. I have another brother who's a firefighter. So yeah, the, I, one of my sisters was, I think, I don't want to get it wrong, but it was like, she was the creative design person for the Girl Scouts of America for a little while. And she's really creative. And I just thought, who does that? Who does that? Does And just as you rattled off what your siblings are doing and you, like, who has a family that does all of that? Yeah, it's the parents. It's the parents. Yeah. Listen, my father did a career in the military. He, he did and went two tours of duty in Vietnam. And I would tell you, and my father as a black man in the military that time, they weren't always treated well. And even with all that going on, they still said, best country in America, figure out ways to make it better. And again, not perfect country, but best. And so we always knew that our job was to set out and do things to to serve and make better. 
And it wasn't that we would, and even still now, you don't, I don't criticize the country for the purpose of being critical, Mm -hmm. right? If I'm saying something that needs that I believe that I can address and add some positivity to, to, I'll have that discussion. But just guys in the country, just for the purpose of criticizing, didn't make much sense to any of us, especially as my father is wearing the uniform of the country, my husband's military. So, you know, everyone, we were, I was surrounded with people who were wearing the uniform and and I believe in the country, but I also believe that we have some things to work on. For sure. For sure. And was your mother, did she work growing up or was she responsible for raising the children and basically assisting with, I don't want to say everything else, but. Yeah. My mother's always had a job outside the home as well as the job being um, inside the home. So she, she did, she, she usually, she did a lot of clerical work. I remember as a little, little child being astonished at how fast my mother could type. I just, it's like her fingers were not even touching the keyboards. I just thought that is the coolest thing ever. And yeah, my mother was very, she was involved inside and out and she was being a a, a caretaker in the home with a full-time job. So my mother had two full-time jobs because she would, she worked outside and inside the home all the time. And she, as much as my father was the influence and said, you got to give back. She yeah. used to always talk about what people about in other countries could or couldn't do and right. how we had to get back. And, and my parents, my grandparents, they talked about the importance of voting, especially as a person of color and a woman, the people that died so that I could have the right to vote and how you could, you just never miss the opportunity to vote. And I never have, I yeah. never have, and nor have any of my siblings. Yeah. And that influence from them of we're not perfect, but you know what you can do to make the country better, you should do. And so that set me off in ways to serve and give back as it did all the rest of my siblings as well. Which is so incredible. So incredible. And now you had studied because whenever I asked you, I said, did you feel when you were growing up high school, as an example, in middle school, did you feel that you were drawn to politics? And your answer was, do you remember your answer? I don't remember my answer, but the answer was no. (laughs) No, Exactly. No No one in their right mind, mind respectfully, would want to do this job because it is so hard. It It is is so so difficult. But I know you said that it's important. Now, you were trained as being a mental health expert, correct? I'm a mental health therapist by profession. Yes. And my interest area is substance dependence. And I worked in my my career was in mostly with offender populations, youth and adults in jails and prisons, which is why I became the chair of the state board of corrections. And a lot of what a lot of the reason I decided to run besides the school issue was watching people walk into jails and prisons who I would look at and think, my gosh, had they had an opportunity to do this or something different, would they be here? And I have met brilliant people who are in, who are sitting behind bars mm-hmm. that we want to believe in this country that everyone has equal opportunity. Everyone does not. That is just not a true statement. It should be true. Mm-hmm. And we should all work to make it true. But it's not true. People don't even have the equal opportunity to have healthy food or healthy water, to be quite honest. And that right. is the basics. But I would watch people who would walk into my jail, some of them because they were stealing food to eat. Uh, now, not everyone. We had a lot of people who just were just doing criminal offenses and they should have been in jail. But a lot of those criminal offenses started off with minor offenses that were to feed their basic needs. We had one woman who was what was called boosting. That's the word for uh, when you're shoplifting at a very high level, it's called boosting. And when they caught her, she had $300 of things on her, but it was all shampoo, deodorant, 
toothpaste, toothbrushes, and she was taking it back to her neighborhood. She's sitting in jail now. And wow. should she have been boosting? Of course, she should not have done that. Of course not. But when you look at what she was doing and for whom she was doing it, yes. it does make you think a little differently about the systems. Do you have to punish somebody who is shoplifting? Yes. But it, but the, but should the systems be doing something different so someone doesn't feel like they re, they're required to do that? Yes. And in that one example, what were you able to do and are you able to do to help? And what yeah. can we, yeah. me, yeah. do yeah. to help? Because there, there are situations, and Chair Randall, I'll share just with you quickly. I was in Pittsburgh a couple of weekends ago visiting my mother and my sisters. And there was a gentleman on the street that was apparently homeless. I ran into him December when it was minus 11 degrees, sitting on the street, not with a warm enough jacket, yeah. just yeah. holding a card, whatever you can do to help. Yeah. And I had conversation with him and I bought him a scarf, not like I'm any big deal or important, but I saw a need and I helped him. Yeah. I yeah. ran into him a couple of weeks ago and you know what? I remembered his name and he remembered what I did for him. Yeah. You bought me a cup of coffee and you got me that Steeler scarf. Yeah, you gave me a pet, you gave me a pet yeah. rock. Remember the gratitude yeah. stone yeah. that I gave yeah. you? You yeah. gave me a pet yeah. rock. But yeah. the point is that he's a person and he's right. talking and he said, things are getting better. Thank right. you, sir, for paying right. attention to me. Right. Like, that's all it takes yeah. to be able to. And, yeah. And it was, I think it was Maya Angelou that said, people will remember how you make them feel. Yes. And that, and, and you made well, and you made him feel seen. You made right. him feel worthy. And, and whether the, whether you bought him a scarf and a cup of coffee or something else, you made him feel like you, like he was worth a moment to be noticed. Yeah. And that's everything sometimes. Yeah. So, so what can so, we do in that yeah. example? Not so back to the question. Right. Yeah. So back yeah. to the question. One of the things we can always do is one thing I learned in the criminal justice system is we lock up everyone in this country. We lock up things we shouldn't lock up, right? Perhaps talk to a local elected official, state elected officials, federal officials about having other options for someone who commits an offense versus putting them in jail. Because truthfully, jail is expensive. Housing somebody in jail is expensive. So other deterrent programs is really important. And they will literally cost less money and and it helps keep families intact and together. And so that's why voting is important. Let's vote for somebody who is not about being soft on crime. It's about being smart with how we spend taxpayer dollars. Let's have a deterrent program not, and it's not necessarily you're going to go straight to jail. And again, there are some people who I worked in the jail. Some people yeah. need to be in jail and that's exactly what they should be. And we should leave them right there. There's also a lot of other people who don't. Also find out what we're doing in our jails and prisons. Does your jail have a GED program? Does your jail or prison offer recovery programs? Does it offer evidence-based treatment programs? Because you know what? They're sitting over there anyway and they cost a lot of money to put them there. While they are there, let's do something because most of the people in prisons and jails are coming out. So yeah. why not have them come out in a stronger place than they went in? Chair Randall, that is the power of you just now. I asked a question I did not know the answer to. Our 25,000 plus listeners are now going to get ideas that they are able to ask these questions as well, because yeah. we all can contribute and we all can help. Now, okay. being involved with mental health for so many years, is it difficult or was it difficult for you to separate and not allow things to continue to bother you? Because I'm sure some of the stories and some of the things are heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. How are you able to balance That's the, a, yeah. yeah. 
You're asking questions no one's ever asked me before. This is fantastic. Yeah, this is great. I I used to joke that my decompression chamber was my car. Mm. And I would get in my car and play music. And oftentimes be, I would it would not be unusual for somebody looking over the car and look at me and I'm talking, but I'm usually talking to God and praying out loud. And so I would get my car, play music, talk to God, talk to somebody, you know? And so my drive home was somewhere between 30 and 45 minutes, depending on the traffic. And it was how I decompressed and moved myself from being Phyllis Randall in the jail and mm. prison to Phyllis Randall, mom and wife and sister and that type of thing. You you really do have to figure out ways to leave it. If I If you cannot separate from that, then you will never have peace. It is why I joke with first responders. First responders have hilariously inappropriate senses of humor, right? They laugh at things that everyone else is like, how are you laughing at that? They have to. Right. It's how you get through the moment and decompress and it is required. And working in the jail for such a long time, I got that hilariously inappropriate sense of humor that first responders have sometime. And it's actually served me very well. Now, having said that, there are some there were some clients, and that's what I call them, they were my clients, that I had a hard time separating from. I just did. And there were people who I just took the prayer. I was like, God. I don't know what to do with this. I'm doing my best and I can, but now I need you to, I need you to intervene because I, I don't, I, I have nothing else I can do. And I would pray about them. I pray about my clients all the time. And I would pray also for the system. I pray for judges to have wisdom and mercy and temperance in their ruling. I would pray for the other, for social workers and mental health people to have wisdom and calmness and confidence yes. and patience. I would pray for the system and I still do overall in it and as a whole, because there are some things I just have no control over. And I don't have control over other adults. I don't. I had control over nobody, but I, I say my own sons when they were little, but truthfully, I don't know if <laughs> I, had, I had control over their, them. They would have potty trained faster and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> we don't have the control we think. We have control over ourselves. Yes. And so how I responded to my world was to like let go what I could let go and pray about other stuff. Yeah. And I love it. And I remember the story at the leadership event that we were at, you were talking about talking to yourself and often out loud or talking yeah. to God or talking to the universe. Yeah. And yeah. Someone shared with this, with this just the other day, they said um, they have learned to stop listening to themselves because often there's negative thoughts Yeah, every single yeah. day. And I did the study where I researched the study, 60,000 thoughts a day, the average person has. Wow. Now, 85% yeah. of those are repetitive. Yeah. 80% of those are negative. negative. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. I have to pay yeah. this bill. I have to take care of this. Oh, am yeah. I late for the appointment? Oh, I hope the sound recording, like all yeah. of these things. Yeah. And yeah. she simply said, stop listening to the negative things and yeah. start talking to yourself in a more positive way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm proud. I'm confident. Yeah. We can do this. Show me how good it can be. Yeah. And yeah, that's I, what, I, yeah. I always say yeah. talk to yourself like you talk to a friend that you love. And that doesn't mean you, you, friends that you love, you tell people what they have to hear. You tell them what they have to hear, but you also, you, but you're also gentle and kind with them. My, my best friend and I, you know, listen, she's going to tell me exactly what she thinks I need to hear. 
but she's also the place that I go for, and by the way, shout out to Sahar, if you're listening to the program, yeah. shout out to Sahar and to Brian, my two best friends, Sahar and Brian, but they're going to tell me what I need to know, but they're going to tell it to me because they care about me. So yeah. talk to yourself like you care about yourself. Oh, that's such a great point. And I know I'm, I usually, I'm taking notes right separately here on what you're sharing with me. And I know our listeners are also learning in your role, Chair Randall, I want to ask you two, two really strong questions, important questions. You have seen, and you are leading an incredible County, one of the fastest growing counties in the United States. And at one point, I think the wealthiest County, Loudoun County, Virginia, so we'll say this all the time. I think we're the best county in the country, and I really do mean that. We're not the wealthiest county, but the county in the country with the highest median income. Okay, okay. Yeah. Which is, but that's, still a, that's still a thing, right? Yeah, yeah that's still, that's a really important <laughs> thing. So from a leadership perspective, you have grown into an incredible leader. When you were, and I know you still are a mental health specialist, like that talent is never going to go away, but you were responsible for yourself and then communicating with your clients. You have evolved in your career to become a leader. Do you think you are a natural leader by trade or have you had to learn how to become an incredible leader? This episode of podcast, Most People Don't But You Do, is brought to you by Cozy Fell. If you're looking for the softest and most comfortable faux fur blankets, look no further than Cozy Fell. They're dedicated to providing top quality products in beautiful packages, making you the star of gift giving or the recipient of true gratitude. Cozy Faux offers a wide range of products, including robes, scarves, throws, baby blankets, and pet blankets, in addition to their signature blankets. These Cozy Faux throws have been handmade using the finest luxurious faux fur since 2007, and each one is proudly made in the USA. Cozy Faux also believes in giving back. For every 20 blankets sold, they donate one to unitedharmony.org to help those in need stay warm and cozy. Visit their website at CozyFo.com to see what makes this company so special. Don't settle for anything less than the best when it comes to comfort and style. Choose CozyFo today. What an interesting question. I think everyone has to learn to become a leader at something different, right? So I knew what I knew when I was a mental health therapist. But when I walked into the county government, there was a lot of things I just didn't know. I didn't know about, I didn't know zoning and land use to the degree that I know it now. And 70% of what we do is zoning and land use. I think the best leaders have to say, I don't know what I don't know. Please teach me. And I was, it's not even, are you willing to learn? You have no choice but to learn. If you're going to be a good leader, you just have no choice. And so I went to the, the to the planning and zoning department and to the and to DTCI and sat down and said, like all these acronyms on this zoning ordinance, what do these or acronyms mean? Explain this to me and help me out. And it's interesting because the county administrator is technically he's my employee. Right. But you come into the job and you're like, yeah, you're my employee, but you know a lot more than I do about this job. Help me understand what this all is and what I'm doing. And so I think that any good leader has to be able to say, I don't know this. I'm willing to ask that question and then learn from it. At the same time, I think it's important for a good leader to say, but I do know this and I'm going to share what I know. And it's I don't think a good leader has to always say I don't know anything, but that's just not true. There are some things that I know. And there are some things that if I'm in a room, I know more than anybody else about that subject. Yes. And there are some things if I'm in the room, 
I don't have any idea about that subject, and I know less than everybody about that subject. Loudoun County is an interesting county in that we have a suburban area, a transition area, a rural area, and we're building an urban area. There's a lot about my rural area mm. I don't know. I don't know anything about farming. I don't know anything about farming. And I thought recently we were talking about, you know, how we write some ordinances. And I was thinking, you have five acres of land. And some of the farmers said to me, five acres of land is nothing. You can't farm on five acres of land. And now I'm like, really? Because that sounds like a lot of land to me. And they're like, <laughs> yeah. if you want to really farm, you can, you can grow a vegetable and some roses, but you can't farm on five acres of land. I'm like, okay, teach me. And they taught me about farming. They taught wow. me about different soil types and they taught me about wetlands. And I didn't yeah. know any of that stuff. And yeah. they taught me about it. And I, and I say this about myself all the time. I am interested in everything. Everything fascinates me. So if I say to you, this is really interesting at that moment, I'm talking to you. That yeah. really is interesting to me, yeah. right? I'm fascinated yeah. by everything. That's the sincerity aspect of you. That is your curiosity element, your authentic self. There's not that many leaders in of 90, 91 people that have interviewed on this podcast. My greatest takeaway from the best leaders like yourself, self-awareness. I know what I'm good at. I know yeah. what I'm not good at. I know who I need to surround myself by. And I am confident enough that I do bring things to the table, which leads into the second question. And then we're almost complete. And again, so gracious to spend time with you. Thank you. And grateful. The element of being a boss being a leader, directing people on what to do, how do you balance the emotional side, the feeling side, the empathetic side of that? My sense is that you are extremely kind, extremely smart, and extremely confident. Sometimes you probably need to tell people certain things that yeah. they don't necessarily want to yeah. hear. Yeah. Are you able yeah. to still, with your mental yeah. health background, approach things in a way it's not going to make people cry. So it's been interesting. Being a mental health therapist, I think I've called on these skills more in this job than I ever thought I would. I was on the dais last term one time and I was, there was a person who was just like coming back at me with everything that I was said. And I sat there and listened to her and I realized she was coming back at me so hard because she didn't feel heard. The mental health therapist in me said, she needs reflective listening. She needs to know that she's heard before I respond to what she's saying. She needs to know that I just heard her and then I can respond to her. And that's exactly what I did on the dais and it worked very well. So there are times that, you know, because I'm a mental health therapist, it works much better. Having said that, there are also times because I am chair of a county that has 435,000 people. It has a $3.5 billion, $3.5 plus billion dollar budget. So there are times I also have to just get things done. What I've taught myself and what you learn as a just a therapist is I never make you statements. I always make I statements. And so yeah. it's never, um, you need to go do this and this. It's, I need this done. And this is why it's right. never, you didn't explain that to me. It's always, I may not have understood or heard that very well. Yes. And so making I statements instead of you statements is a very powerful thing to do if you have to move people. Having said that, there was one time my chief and staff and I were talking and I pride myself on never raising my voice, never yelling at people. My chief of staff said something and he will, he will tell you, he said that I felt, I felt really bad about, it. he said, Sharanda, you don't yell at people, but you can make people feel like less than if you're not careful. And I thought, whoo, I never want to make people feel like less than. So he said that to me because I've always thought, don't yell at people. Don't yell at people. Yes. And he goes, you don't ever yell, 
but you have, but sometimes the things you say make somebody not feel like that they are, it doesn't build them up. And I thought, and I heard that. And I said to him, if I'm doing that again, stop me, catch me, tell me exactly when I'm doing it. And so that I know, because that's important to me, telling people what I have to tell them, but not making them feel like they're less because I'm telling them that is incredibly important to me. Yeah. Never making people feel less. Yeah. And I look for certain lines when I go back and replay this, that might simply be the title of this. You are never making people feel less responsible for so much and so many responsibilities. And if you could end with the one story, and I'll remind you what the story was. My sense, again, of you, driven, successful, self-aware, and probably the most part, kind. Thank you. Okay, that's my sense. And I think I read people very well. To me, you are very kind. Can you share the story about the one person that was not not friendly, not kind, that was sending you emails oh. about certain things? Because I think that just epitomizes your kindness. Yeah. Do you mind sharing? Yeah. So I have a person who sends me an email twice, probably twice a day. And it's just the ugliest emails. It's it, They're always in all caps, first of all. They're a little bit sexist and a little bit racist and a whole lot mean. And it's just, I don't know who this person is because they don't yeah. identify themselves. And they're just always like screaming and just, it just they're just so mean. And then for two weeks, I, we didn't get an email from this person. And my first thought was, are they okay? Did something happen? It's like a little worried about my hater, right? What happened to my hater? He just, they, he or she just went away. What happened? They have a vacation. Did they yeah. get sick? What happened? And then two weeks later, they started up again. I'm like, oh, okay, you're back. But like worries about that. I just think it's just so, it was just so, it was like all of a sudden I was like, I haven't got an email from that person. Are they good? And then I, so I guess they went on vacation because it's two weeks and they came back and they picked up right where they left off. And I'm like, all right, here we go. Yeah. But every single day, like clockwork, usually around 10 in the morning, sometimes also in the evening. And first I thought it was a bot, like just sending things mm-hmm. out. But then I went back and I realized, no, this, they're actually, it's a real person. But I'm yeah. thinking, but really I think, Oh, you poor person who has time to do that every single day. Really? Are you okay? Every single day. What, who, what energy that is that taken from you? Someone that just wants to be heard. Yeah, right? well, like the other example, someone yeah, that just wants to hear, and yeah, that person's heard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, and then last question, Chair Randall. Again, so grateful because the name of the podcast is "Most People Don't, But You Do." And if I were just to ask you, fill in the blank. Most people don't blank. What immediately comes to mind about me, or just about people in general? People in general. Most people don't know their history and should learn it. <laughs> yeah. Really? Um, yeah, I'll tell you why that comes to mind. I was just yeah. out in the hallway talking to two very wonderful young ladies, both young in their 20s, and neither one of them had ever heard of Brown v. Board of Education. And I was like, oh my gosh, how's that? What? So I was saying most people don't know their history and should go talk to their grandparents. Oh, <laughs> amazing. Grandparents. You're yeah. absolutely amazing. And also another beauty of this podcast is that I've had people like my mother on it, who's 87, my father-in-law, who's 82. And capture it. Capture it, yes. And listen to it and learn and learn. Capture it, that's right. Because 
you have two choices in life. You're either going to get old or you're not. Those are your only choices. <laughs> and, <laughs> and truthfully, elder, people who are older than us, people who are in their 80s, they've gone through so much. They understand so much. They know so much. They have, And they make history come alive. I love history. And they make history come alive. Learn your history, but learn it from people who lived it. Yes. And then also realize that you have the ability to impact history, you do. You do. which is exactly you do. what you are doing, my friend. Thank so, you so much. Willis J. Randall, cannot thank you enough. Chair Randall, Chair at large of the Loudoun County Board of Supervisors, a terrific spirit and soul. And what a great contributor to not only our county and our state, but the entire universe. Thank Chair you Randall. so much for having me. Thank, thank you, you very thank much. You.